All right, well, an alphabet is a set of letters or numbers in a fixed order used to represent the basic sounds of a language. Um, but upon further inspection, that probably says applause. Greg, could you catch the light for me on that sign? Thank you, Greg. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. All right, everybody, you guys are all a huge part of Weibo TV, so the better you are, the better BJ is. Um, so let's uh, let's get ready to go here today. Joining BJ on the show, we've got Sarah Shepard, and that is exciting. Uh, believe you me. So that lady over there has a sign says, "We're going on in less than ten seconds. Let's uh, do it." All right, everyone, quiet on set, please. In five, four, three, <laughs> just a technical two, or something. Um, but, but Sarah, thank you so much for joining us here on Weibo TV. Um, let me just get it right out of the way. What are you working on? I'm working on a whole bunch of things. Um, I'm working on a book series for younger kids. I am working on um, some YA projects. I'm working on podcasts. So I am doing a whole lot of stuff at the moment. Yeah, you're li- you are living like the author's dream. Like you, I, like how many properties now have been adapted for different media? There's two, right? But there's I think there there's might be actually one. three. Well, three were adapted to TV. Um, Pretty Little Liars, The Lion Game, and a series called The Perfectionists, which was two books. Um, that's it. I've come up with other ideas that have gone to other that's places, okay. but those are the only three book series. Only. That's so cool. And let me, uh, like, just uh, the success of, of Pretty Little Liars, I think, speaks for itself. But I'm, I'm curious, just from an author's mindset, um, did you have any trepidation initially when they were when they first came to you and were like, we're going to adapt one of your books into television? Um, well, it was funny because the, when they first told me, it was when the book deal first happened, which was so long ago now. And I was pretty young. I was still, I was still right. in my 20s. So... I was just like, oh my god! First of all, I got a book deal, and I also, uh, awesome, it's going to be made in TV, and this is like awesome, and this is the best thing ever. So I um, had no reservations about it. But then a few years went by. Um, I wrote the books. I wrote, I think, eight of them. Really loved writing them. Really got you know, attached to all the characters, all that stuff. So when they finally did come around and say, oh, we actually, you know, Freeform uh, is making the pilot, we're going to cast, then I kind of was like, well, I am pretty invested in these characters and I hope they don't, you know, screw it up. Um, right. But I, so, yeah, yeah. And I, and, I, and I had a lot of readers by that point who – knew the looks of the characters and kind of knew the world and they didn't want it, you know, disturbed either. Um, but I got, I think I got really lucky. They did. A, I think they did a great job. Uh, yeah. 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 I, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. The reason why I, I, I ask is because I've, I've seen the other side yeah. of it. Uh, work like working with an author who had their had, let's I have to choose my yeah. words carefully. Um, they, they, they had their book. I won't right. say the book was adapted into a film and the director just completely stonewalled the author. Once, once they had the rights to it, it was like, that's it. I'm going to make my own thing with my own stuff. And so the, the, the TV series though, like for the most part, I mean, there was some deviation, but like, it seems pretty. Fake. Yeah. I, I think my situation was a little unusual because I think that's usually what happens. And that's, that's kind of what happened with the other two book series is that they sort of took it. They did what they wanted with it. It was pretty different than, than the books, but, 
something about Pretty Little Liars, like the pilot uh, was so much like the first book. I mean, there were lines that they used. Um, and I, everybody I met, the writers, the actors, they all had read the books, which was like, it feels like it's unheard nice. of. Um, and they just really got it. Um, and they kind of got me, they got what I was going for. Cause the books are, they're spooky and scary, but they're also sort of funny and they're supposed to be a little bit like soapy and, uh, campy almost. And like, they completely got that. And, you know, it was, I seeing friends, um, books adapted and not being so happy or, you know, just feeling like this is a completely different story. I realize now, like how um unusual that was of a situation to be in so yeah i got lucky for sure now the flip side to it though is that you get people like me who were probably not the intended audience <laughs> for pretty little liars um but saw the tv series through in my case my ex-wife was a big fan um and so she sat me down to watch the show and i was like i'm gonna I, i'm gonna go and read these books and i was i was just so tickled by that like i liked that the intentionally soapy yeah kind of thing because I found it was great escapism for me right because so much of what I do for, as an author is just very right. serious work usually and so I, I was like no this is what it's the same reason why I like pro wrestling right like there's just a hint of ridiculousness yeah, to yeah. Story. and so I it totally intended for that um you know I didn't want it to be too serious like they're just it was a it's a very serious concept of this of cyberbullying and you know there had to be a little bit in there of, of lightness and you know and, and yeah escapism and just you know but there is a lot of there's a lot of you know deep kind of um stuff that kids are dealing with beneath that but i also wanted you know kids not to feel like completely wrecked when they when they read the book kids or anybody sorry you're you? i'm happy yes, to don't read right. them is, is great i'm always happy when it's not the target audience um that i that i speak to it's like i loved you know that that's the best um when it can reach you know right. somebody else that's really cool <laughs> I, I think that's i mean that's how you know that the writing is oh. good, right? Is when anyone would pick it up and be like, "Oh, this is this is a thing." Uh, so I'm thankful to my ex-wife yeah. for introducing me to the, to the series. Uh, I was so I wanted to ask you, like, so has the TV show? Have you found that that's shaped the way that you approach future stories, thinking about the way it was adapted and the success of it? Like, does has that changed your process at all? Yeah, it probably has, um, especially. You know, when I, when this show had been going for a while and I had visited the set and I kind of thought about, you know, doing TV writing myself, which I don't live in LA. I didn't have any <laughs> intentions of moving to LA, but you know, it was kind of like, oh, this looks fun too. Um, and <laughs> I, and I did some development work with, um, the same production company studio that would, that did Pretty Little Liars, which was, uh, I think it was like Warner Horizon or something. And then I really started, you know, you kind of think about how a TV pitch is made and it's kind of like, you know, an idea for a novel. But um, yeah, I think I did kind of start to think like, with this book idea I have translate into a TV show? Um, yeah. And then on the other side of that too, it was funny because I was still writing the Pretty Little Liars books when the show was on. 
And there were times when I would love what they did in episodes that I had to be really careful not to use that as a plot point in the books <laughs> because it was like, no, that's their world and this is mine. And I have to keep like, that's not fair. Um, they also kept a lot of people alive that I wish I would have kept alive, but the books came first and they, you know, it was fun. It was fun to see. It was fun to see those people live on Toby. I'm mostly talking about and Mona. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was fun. It was fun that they, that they, and they became such big parts of the show. Um, yes. and you know, Toby did not stay around for very long in my books. Um, do you, do you find that like you, oh, no, go ahead. do you, do you find like when you watch these characters live on and take on a life of their own, like what goes through your mind as you see this? Cause you know, clearly it was a different direction from the one that you went in. Like, but I'm just, do you find yourself watching as a fan yeah. at that point? Or are you still kind of in creative mode? Mostly as a fan. Um, yeah, because I mean, in my mind, their stories stopped. Um, so, you know, it's just, it, that's what was so much fun about Pretty Little Liars. It was much, so much the same world and structure and like so many of the characters were the same, but they just kind of were able to like, it was like a little parallel part of the same world. Um, right. and, and, but I, I mostly would watch it as a fan. I, I actually watched most of that show as a fan, not knowing ahead of time what their plans were, um, and, which made it a lot of fun because this was also in the age of things were not streaming. You would watch them live and you would live tweet. I mean, you could record them and watch them later, but like live tweeting was a thing and like fan reactions. And, you know, sometimes I would go to LA and we would be in this room and we would all be watching the, you know, um, people with free form and sometimes the actors and we would be watching the show as the show was airing and tweeting. And, you know, um, so I, it was fun not to know ahead of time and truly be right. shocked, uh, or, you know, like confused or whatever, like have real reactions that, um, you know, in, in real time. <laughs> Was there anything that that really surprised you from the experience of seeing something that that you put so much time into writing, and and just watching it on the screen? Um, I mean, I was so surprised how much it took off, like how popular it got. <laughs> um, that was like, you know, I never would have imagined. It was it was enough. I mean, it was enough to just be writing the books. And it was enough to have a pilot. You made it, but like the fact that it exploded and you know um, became this whole thing, and you know um, that was you know surprising in itself. And you know it was I I loved the conversations that came out of it. Um, you know about like um, you know LGBTQ stuff and just like you know bullying and you know it just it like. It, People talked about it when the books were out, but this was on a much bigger scale that people could talk about, you know, those things and, and feel, feel seen and, um, and feel like they had a play, you know, they could, they identified with these characters or these situations and stuff like that. So that was really, that was surprising and nice. Nice. Now I want to ask you about cruise ship. Oh yeah. Um, cause I, I'm an audio drama nerd, um, 
I used to work for a company that produced audio dramas. So I, I just would love to hear about your experience in putting that together and what that oh, was yeah, like that and was, how it was different from. That was super fun. Um, so that's with a company called Meet Cute. Um, they, uh, I'm trying to think how I got involved with them. I don't remember. But, uh, I probably my agent with podcasts because I was doing something. I was doing another pod or like trying to get another podcast off the ground, and she said, "You know, there's this rom com." Um, podcasting company and they do like you know a scripted drama short um and I think I wrote a few initial things for them um just some like standalone episodes almost and the way that they're set up are so much fun because they're all 15 minutes long and they're broken into and they're all rom-coms um and they're vo broken into like three or five very predictable three minute um acts so it's five acts three minutes long each um and sort of act one is like the meet cute and it's kind of proceeds from there and act, I think it's like act four is everything goes wrong. And then there's sort of a resolution at the, you know, at the end. Um, so I love structure. I mean, all of pretty little liars books were, were very structured and you know, that had a very predictable beginning. Um, you knew when the A notes were going to come, like I could map it out. And so that's why I love the meet cute structure because it was just like, Oh, I know exactly what I have to do here. Um, <laughs> So I liked it so much and had so much fun and, and, um, I, you know, they were looking for longer series and this was in late 2020, um, when everybody was stuck at home. I live in Pennsylvania. It was very gray and dark and awful. Um, and it, you know, they were like, come up with some ideas. And I thought, well, a travel story would be really fun. Um, you know, what about, because we, nobody can really travel right now and we all want to, and we want to get out of the dreary weather. Um, so I, I came up with this cruise ship idea, which again, cruise ships are a little bit campy and, you know, can be a little bit ridiculous, but that's, it sort of fit the mold for the, you know, cause the meet cute stories are often funny. Um, and I just thought it would be a great setting for a whole bunch of different stories to happen. I've only been on one cruise, but, uh, I, I don't know if I'd go back on another one, <laughs> but, right. but, um, right. you know, it was interesting, all the different people that passed through and all the lives, um, and the different stories and all the reasons why people are on cruise ships and, you know, whether it's, you know, honeymoons or girls trips or, you know, th there's, conventions on cruise ships and strange, you know, meetings and, and like all the staff, they have their own stories. When I lived in New York, I had a roommate who, um, would spend like six to nine months, I think on a cruise ship. Cause he was in a band, he would play trumpet and he would play trumpet on the cruise ship. And it was just like, it, it was just such an interesting world and it kept, it would, the turnover was high. And I just thought like that would be a really fun, um, setting for a bunch of romantic stories and we could all get our kind of escape. Um, and there were a few characters that, that remained in all of the episodes, the people who kind of worked on the boat. Um, but then there were a variety of different stories. I think it was nine, I think it was nine episodes. Um, and I remember writing that, you know, in that very dark, depressing time of not being able to leave the house and being really anxious <laughs> Um, right. and it was a lot of fun and it was, I think they turned out great. It was so fun to listen to them and, um, yeah. 
Where can people listen to them now if, if they're watching they can, this? They're so like, they oh my can, God, um, I didn't know this Yeah, you can, I think you can find them on anywhere you get podcasts. Um, and it's Meet Cute is where you go. You'd have to scroll back a little bit because they put out a lot of stories. Um, I think they put out like two or three stories every week by, you know, all kinds of writers. Um, sometimes they are standalone. Sometimes they're series. I've actually helped consult. I've consulted with them, um, with some other series they're putting together. I didn't write them, but I kind of gave notes and stuff like that. Cause I just, I love what they're doing. It's this like quick, happy, funny bite of a story in the morning, you know, on your commute or whatever. Like it's just positive and, um, you know, nothing heavy, um, very hopeful, often very funny and quirky. Um, so I just think like, I totally believe in, in their, in what they're doing. I wish there was more audio drama. I don't feel like there's a lot. I think there's more than there has been, but, um, you know, hopefully that will change. Hello, I'm your host of the Harriman Herald radio show and artificial intelligence using the voice of a dead guy for a comedy bit. You can call me Paul Shackman. I have no idea who that is, but it's a very funny name. Did his ancestors live in a shack? They must have. I hope it was a very nice shack at least and not the kind you use out in Alaska to take a shit, only to find a bear at the bottom of your toilet tunnel, angry about the piece of shit that just hit him in the face. We have time for only one story today, so let's go to Nancy Diamante who is over at Harriman State Park. Nancy. Thank you, Paul. You sound a lot like that Honest Trailers guy. Are you sure you're not him? I can't be sure of anything. I am an artificial intelligence, not a person. I only know whatever BJ tells me to say. The only thing I know for sure is that this comedy segment is proof that God is dead. He is dead, Paul. You're right. What story would you like to share with us today? Paul, I'm here outside the cave of a bear with a very troubling story. Yesterday afternoon, during his typical routine, Gary was out minding his own business. That is, until he encountered a bunch of teenagers. So I was out, just doing bare things, you know. And then I hear this noise from the bushes, like a caw-cawing sound. A caw-cawing sound? Yeah, you know, like caw-caw, caw-caw, caw-caw. And then what happened? So I go into the bushes, you know, like an idiot. And these two teenagers come out of nowhere and bite me on the ass. On the ass? The ass, Nancy. The ass. You must have been pretty mad. I mean, if they had asked permission first, I wouldn't have mind. You know what I'm saying. I do. Who doesn't like a good bite on the ass? Right. But they surprised me. So I got real mad and stood up. You know how bears do. And I roared. And then they took a photo and ran away. I bet you that shit's on Instagram. Indeed it is. The Harriman Herald was able to find the photo of Gary standing up and bellowing at his assailants. But the teenagers could not be reached for comment. Gary is currently considering pressing charges. I just want people to know that you can't bite a bear on the ass and think you're going to get away with it. Not out here. Not in my woods. We'll have more on this important story as it develops. Back to you, Paul. Thank you, Nancy. This has been another edition of the Harriman Herald. We now return you to what are you working on, already in progress. Yeah, the, the struggle that I've seen is just having a sustainable business model that's not advertising. Right. Right, like that's, that's the whole, that's been the big, at least when I was working over uh, at Serial Box now Realm.fm, that that's always the struggle of, well, do we put this out for free and we'll have ads? Or do, do people pay for it? And it's, it's always a little yeah. hard. Uh, but yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I think that audio drama is underappreciated and overlooked, yeah. like as an art form. And so uh, I am all about getting more yeah. out there. But let me let me ask you, because um, I don't have okay. too much time with you left. So I, w- I want to make sure that I get into... Uh, tell me a little bit about the, the structuring that you use for writing, because I'm 
I, I like I'm a, also a big planner and and process person, so I'd love to hear about like how you start to construct one of your books. Um, it usually starts with like you know a few pages of like over kind of an overarching plot. Um, but then I I get really I'm not a post-it note person. I am usually just a word doc, you know, 25 page detailed chapter outline, especially of Pretty Little Liars. Now, I did Pretty Little Liars with Alloy, um, the book packager, so we would meet together and sort of collaborate um, on like major plot points. And they would have a whiteboard where we would sort of do Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. But it would be so complicated because it wasn't just Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. It was like all four characters and then A. What is A doing in the background? What's the like, you know, what are the A notes? Um, so, and then I would write a really um, detailed outline of kind of how everything fit together and how the clues kind of played out and all of that. Um, that's mostly what I do. I have written a few books usually just standalone novels, not series. Cause series, I feel like you really, I, I have to have a guide. Otherwise, you know, if I'm on book three and <laughs> I've figured something else out and, and it like, you know, then, then you, you can't go back and change books one and two. Um, but I have had some standalone books where I have been writing and I think I know what I'm doing and I haven't used as detailed of an outline, and then halfway through, I've I've kind of it's kind of come to me the twist or the conceit or whatever it is, and then I have to go back and kind of change everything. Um, which it's fun to do that kind of, but it's it makes me a little bit nervous. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather have a plan, um, but sometimes it just doesn't come to you. You know, it's like you think you have a good idea and the outline looks good, but then when you go to write, you're like, no, this this is not working. And I think that's probably what happened at that time is I had something of an outline and was going along, but was not, um, it was just not, it was not working. So, and that's definitely happened in pretty little liars books too, where, you know, the, the beats within the each book maybe didn't work and I had to redo them, but I always would know like from the very beginning of that series, I knew who the first A was. Then pretty soon I knew who the second A was because there's lots of different A's. <laughs> there were a lot of books in that series. Um, it would be interesting to know, and I've never asked Marlene or anybody else who worked on the show if they also knew from the start. Um, now, their uh, A was my A in the beginning, but it, but it, the later A's were not. Um, so I would imagine that they did know because that would be I, I just, I think it would be way too hard to just be going along and, you know, I, I think they probably knew pretty far in advance, um, but it'd be interesting to know when exactly they knew and what, and if they had a, a clear plan or like if it was tacked on later, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any idea. Well, you and George are, are Martin are in the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, right, like you didn't necessarily know what direction it was going in. You kind of knew where it was supposed right. to go. Totally. Uh, <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> uh, let me, uh, so I have two more questions for you. Um, let me first ask, whose work do you really like that maybe doesn't get the attention it deserves that you would love to just spotlight for people? Oh, well, that is a good question. Um, there is a podcast. I mean, there is a 
really great scripted podcast that I li- recently listened to. Is that okay? If it's not a, an author? Yeah, that's great. It's I whatever you like. To, and maybe people have heard this, but I listened to this scripted podcast called Bone Mary Berry. Have you heard of this? Oh, what's this? No. No. It was kind of a, it was like, it was just, it was a, it was a comedy. Um, and it was by, um, oh my gosh, Rebecca Freeman, I want to say, or Rebecca King. Wait a second. Let me look up exactly who it was by. Um, sorry to. Oh, it's um, no problem at all. But anyway, it was this comedy, um, it's starring Sarah Highland, who is was in um, Modern Family. Uh, the writing is just hilarious, and this is kind of my, um, you know, I, I I hope people listen to it because I hope that it would pave the way for there being more scripted shows like this. Because it was, I just thought it was so funny. Of course, they're not telling me who um, who wrote it, but it just was really funny. It kind of had a mystery element to it. It just, I, I have never laughed out loud at a podcast before, but, um, and they, this is a group of, they're, they're two writers. Um, and you can, it's by dear media, but that's, those aren't the two writers, but anyway, you can find it, um, at where you find podcasts. Um, they have done a couple of other rom-coms before that I also think are really funny. Um, I'm just such a fan of scripted podcasts and I feel like, you know, it's, just such a thing that people should be listening to because it's it's so much fun. Um, but that would yeah, I'm trying to think of an author who I love, um, but I feel like I feel like a lot of them are pretty appreciated. <laughs> I was going to be like Stephen King, uh, but you know, people kind of know who he, who he is. Um, <laughs> off the top of my head, that that is kind of jumping out at me because I'm just like I think everybody should listen to this. I think it's so funny. Um, and of course, meet cute because I think there are a lot of really funny, um, and for that matter, um, the stories on Realm. I actually did a story. I did a series on on Serial Box Realm, um, and I think there are some really great audio stories on there. Yes, I did. I I was yeah. I did want to uh, yeah. I wasn't going to bring it oh. bring it up right away. Um, but yeah, um, I would. So I got I get time right. for one more. Um, would you would you be willing to come back like down in the future down the sure. road anytime soon? Yeah, right. of course. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah, because these 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 interviews are usually only about twenty five minutes. Okay. So, but there's so much oh, I feel yeah. like I'd love oh, to ask you. Of course. Them. Yeah. Um, wonderful. Um, so my last my oh. last question <laughs> okay. for you is what uh, what was what was the best piece of advice that you ever got? Um. About writing or just about advice in general? It could be, it could be about oh, anything. Man, what is good advice? I mean, it's probably not, I, I, there's, I, I can think of advice like I could give to my younger self. Um, I feel like the advice that, you know, of, of kind of don't worry so much, <laughs> which is like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just think I spent my 20s worrying, I mean, in my 20s, my 30s now, um, worrying about stuff that didn't end up being, you know, useful at all. And I'm just, I think I'm just an anxious person anyway. Um, and, you know, it's, 
it, it will all work out as it works out. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, um, I wish I had relaxed a little bit more. Um, and you know, not, <laughs> not been so, uh, rigid, but, um, you know, it got me to where I am now, I guess. <laughs> I guess I can't be too much of a regret. Um, I'm sure I have lots of other writing, great writing, uh, advice I've gotten too, but, um, I wish I hadn't worried so much. <laughs> I think, I think that's pretty solid advice, especially these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's very valuable. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I know Molly will kill me if I don't mention memory lane. Oh, yes. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I, so I, I know for a fact that she will be very unhappy if I don't mention it. So I have to yes. mention it. Um, I would love to just, just real quick, um, memory lane. It's a, it's a terrific show. It's on realm.fm. Um, but is there anything that you would love to, to say about for people who might not have come across it? Um, so this is yet another project I did. I, as you can see, I really love doing podcasts. I think there's so much fun. Um, it's, it was a lot of fun because it is, I mean, I love writing mysteries, but this was a little bit of, you know, it kind of had a little bit of a sci-fi edge to it. And it was so much about memory. And I love, a lot of my books are about, about memory in one way or another. I mean, even Pretty Little Liars is just how they remember Allison and how their memories feel a little bit, you know, twisted in that. And are they remembering it correctly? Like, I just feel like that's something I'm always writing about. Um, and this is like literally about um, a character kind of reliving somebody else's memories to sort of put her, the story of her life together. And um, I, yeah, I just think it's a really fun journey. There's a second season too, which is also, it's like a completely, it's like not a new mystery, but it's, it, it kind of is um, same characters. And it just was, it was, it was really, really fun to put together so again like a very um and yeah maybe i'm saying that there should be more scripted podcasts so that i can write more <laughs> because i like doing them so yeah. yeah but that like i said they, I mean, memory lane has is... a lot of really great have some a lot of really great shows um yeah. yes uh, i did i did a lot of the the marketing and, and promotion i don't know if i worked on memory lane um i was more on the marvel the yeah. marvel shows that they were putting yeah. out uh, and then uh, there was a couple other ones, but uh, who is the editor on on Memory Lane with you? Was that Rhoda? Rhoda? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Rhoda's great. Um, so I want to just give a, a shout out she to her. She did a great for, job for working. Uh, yeah, and she had a great writer to work with. Yeah, so well, we, I mean, it's a great series. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, so I would love to. I would love to have you back. As we as you said, um, where can we where can we find you? And your different projects. Like, what would you like us to go and check oh, out? Um, uh, I mean, my books are on Amazon <laughs> or wherever. You don't have to shop on Amazon. Shop somewhere else. In fact. <laughs> um, let's see. Meet Cute. You can find some of my podcasts, like the, sh the Cruise Ship series. Um, I did a uh, YouTube series called Crown Lake. Um, which was a, um, t like a sort of TV show, which was really fun. Um, so those are some things that you might not know, um, besides, you know, the book world. And I have a, I have a bunch of books coming out. I have, um, a book coming out at the end of this year called, uh, Wait for Me, which is a YA kind of romance thriller. So that would be sort of my next thing to look for. 
That's very cool. <laughs> and again, Memory Lane is up on uh, Realm.fm. Yes. Uh, did they did they put that out? Is that one of the ones? Because I you know I haven't been there for a hot minute. So is that one of the ones that's freely available on iTunes? I I think so. I think um, because <laughs> I want to say like family members of mine have listened to it, and I'm pretty sure they don't subscribe to Realm. <laughs> So I would say that it is, but you should subscribe to Ralph. Like, <laughs> yes, um, yes. I, I, just can't, I just can't think of, imagine my mom like figuring out how to subscribe. Like I can see her finding a podcast uh, and the <laughs> podcast app, but I maybe not a subscription service. So <laughs> uh, that's the reason why I'm saying that. Pretty sure that it's free. <laughs> Yes, I, I just I, so I, I double checked. Um, yep, it is okay. it is out on Apple, okay. uh, where all podcasts are. So please do listen to Memory Lane. It's yeah. it's terrific. I remember seeing an early version of it. Oh good. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was yeah I was excited about awesome. that. So yeah, it's fun. thank you. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty I'm pretty upset that the Mets are good now. Why is that? Well, because now we can't experience things like when they had a 97 year old pitching coach. You mean Phil Regan? Yeah, th- that guy who played for the Brooklyn Dodgers. That team hasn't even existed for 65 years. Like, do you understand how close we all came to having this super old guy coaching the Mets? Do you understand the kind of comedy gold that could have been, like right now when we need laughter the most? He probably wouldn't even remember who was on the team. Regan would be in the dugout chewing tobacco and saying shit like, send in Willie Mays. And then one of the guys on the bench would be like, coach, Willie Mays is dead. And then Regan would be like, the hell he is, get him in there. I don't think Willie Mays is dead. He's not. And I hope Willie Mays lives forever, I really do. But Willie Mays also hasn't played for the Mets since 1973. Anyway, I just want people to understand the potential joy that we're all deprived of now that the Mets are good. Hmm. Well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode of TV, you know what you need to do. Rate us and leave us a review wherever your favorite podcast can be found. That'll help people find this show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you did. You did enjoy the show, right? We're going to assume you did, because you made it to the outro. Most people don't. Be sure to follow BJ on Instagram at BJ Mendelson and tell him who you'd like to see interviewed next. You can also text your suggestions to BJ at 646-331-8341. But don't call that number. BJ says he's only going to answer if you're Melissa O'Neill from ABC's The Rookie. Also, only if you're going to ask him out on a date. We'll see you next time. Right? Hello everyone, this is BJ Mendelson giving you a preview for a upcoming podcast series that uh, I've been talking about for way longer than I care to admit. Uh, the show is called Vaped Crusaders, and it's exactly what you think a show called Vaped Crusaders would be. It's it's about be funny people getting together and getting high and talking about their favorite comic book characters. So uh, we have that in the works. Uh, it's just been a little delayed, like I mentioned. So in the meantime, until we're able to start recording those, because it really requires people to record in person, you know, and... Uh, yeah, you just it's not the same getting high with someone over Zoom. So that, that, that's why we're kind of waiting. Anyway, okay, let's focus. Uh, I'm actually high at the moment as I'm recording. So 
I'm giving you a sneak preview of Vaped Crusaders. Uh, there's going to be a recurring segment, which will now be running at the back end of some select Waywell episodes called She-Hulk and Six. And it's essentially uh, a little game show that I'm playing uh, with myself and you guys hopefully will find it entertaining. Uh, where I try to recap issues of the Savage She-Hulk and uh, and do it in like six minutes or less, um, which which I think is is pretty reasonable, pretty doable. So uh, hopefully these will be funny. If you don't laugh, uh, I'll I'll buy you a beer or something. I don't know, but okay, we've talked too long. So She-Hulk and Six is going to run at the back end of some select Waywo episodes, and here we go with issue one of the Savage She-Hulk. Bruce Banner needs to confide in someone, which brings him to Los Angeles in the legal offices of his cousin, Jennifer Walters. They were once close, but Jennifer hadn't seen Bruce since he quit med school to become a nuclear physicist. This, by the way, is not the craziest thing said in issue one of The Savage She-Hulk, which comes to us from the creative team of Stanley, John Buscema, Chick Stone, and Joe Rosen. Uh, I think only one of those guys is like still alive, which is sad. But Anyway, uh, so... In the issue, Bruce tells Jen that he's wanted, he's a wanted man because he's secretly the Incredible Hulk. Eager to help, Jen invites Bruce to come home with her. Bruce warns her that he attracts danger, which Jen brushes off. Bad decision, Jen. She's a criminal defense attorney, she says, and she is used to being in danger. Jen tells Bruce she's defending a thug named Moncton, who is accused of killing Nick Trask's bodyguard. Nick Trask is a local Tony Soprano type who like most comic book mobsters, dabbles in plots uh, involving giant mechanical snakes and murdering people. Because, of course, like if you're a fucking comic book mobster, this is a thing that, that you would do. And anyway, all you need to know here is that uh, Nick Trask killed Jennifer Walters' mother, Bruce Banner's aunt. Uh, why this has never come, come up in the whole comic where he's just like fucking hulked out in the sky, you will have to ask the writers of Marvel. Jen thinks Trask set Moncton up, but Bruce says that if Trask really is the killer, he may try to silence Jen. Jen says that those things only happen in the movies, which is a strange thing to say after your cousin informs you that they turn into an enormous green rage monster in purple pants whenever someone upsets them. As Jen and Bruce drive away, two thugs look on. One notes that Jennifer has someone with her, but the other says it isn't going to do her any good because, if there's one thing contract killers are good at, it's making loud public disturbances in front of as many people as possible. Jen and Bruce arrive home, and they are greeted by bullets, but they escape. Seeing that Jen needs medical assistance after being shot in the back, Bruce sneaks into Dr. Ridge's house, who conveniently lives across the street from Jen. With no time to waste, Bruce does, Bruce does an emergency blood transfusion of Jen using his blood. After Jen wakes up, Bruce calls the police to report what happened, and is promptly arrested, surprise, surprise, by the LAPD. You go get him, boys. At the station, Bruce freaks out, leading the Hulk to appear and smash a giant hole through the police station's wall. He is never seen again, at least. Not in the pages of this comic book series. Anyway, back to the hospital, Jen says their skin and bones are tingling, but figures that is just the medicine. She starts to think that she should have listened to Bruce about Trask. Just then, three men dressed like doctors enter Jen's room, but she doesn't recognize any of them. One of them pours chloroform onto her egg and says to Jen, Hey, does this... <laughs> I knew I wasn't even able to get, it to get through that. Uh, fuck, I, I just knew, like, I knew the joke was coming. Hold on. Here, I'm gonna light up. Here. Okay, let's do that again. <laughs> what, uh, just that, that, uh, just then, three men dressed like doctors entered Jen's room, but she doesn't recognize any of them. 
One of them pours chloroform onto her rag and says to Jen, hey, does this rag smell funny to you? As <laughs> so he puts it on her face. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> it's probably the weed. <sighs> anyway, suddenly the three men are sent flying. They look up confused and see a seven-foot-tall green woman looking down at them. <laughs> I should have had a death by snooze to joke here. Uh, I felt like it was kind of obvious and I did not go in that direction. One of the thugs dubs the woman some kind of She-Hulk, which is, if we're being honest, should have been the name of this podcast. Uh, a wild chase ensues through the hospitals as orderlies and bedpans go flying in She-Hulk's wake. As she runs down the stairs after the thugs, She-Hulk says that she'd never felt this way before. I can do anything. I'm throbbing with power, which is exactly what I said on my wedding night. Uh, this may or may not explain why that marriage didn't last, uh, come to think of it. Outside on the street, She-Hulk wrenches out a lamppost and throws it at the, gate get the, the gateway car. Let's do that one more time. Outside on the street, She-Hulk wrenches out a lamppost and throws it at the getaway car, giving her an opportunity to grab one of the thugs as they flee. The thug begs She-Hulk not to hurt him and says that it was Trask that paid him to kill the Walters dame. Why? Because Trask was afraid Jed would prove he framed Moncton. The police arrive just in time to hear this confession and take the mobsters into custody. Somehow, they don't bother to harass She-Hulk, which is weird because her cousin just fucked up their police station a few pages back. Sorry, I had to, I had to like hold back and chuckle at that line too. Uh, feeling her anger and strength fade, She-Hulk returns covertly to the hospital and transforms back into Jennifer. As she rests, Jen wisely concludes that it was Bruce's blood that caused her transformation into She-Hulk. Jen then says to herself, whatever Jennifer Walters can handle... The She-Hulk will. Although how well She-Hulk in Parallel Park remains to be seen. And that, my friends, is the Savage recap of the Savage She-Hulk, which again was a segment that we were planning to do on Vape Crusaders, but now will appear randomly uh, on episodes of TV. So thank you for listening. If you stuck it out to the end, God bless you. And uh, yeah, have a good night.